welcome back to the Brock List podcast. As always, I'm joined with Nathan. And we've got quite a lot to get into, don't we? Um, we have two games um, and a few more twists and turns to discuss in what is becoming an almost weekly episode of who's going to get second place in the championship. Um, new teams have sort of almost been added to the mix, I guess, popped up from nowhere. Um, and yeah, as I say, there's been twists and turns from from both sides involved. But uh, before we get into all of that, Nathan, get talking about obviously the Stoke and Preston games. Uh, how's your week been? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Um, as the week's gone on, my uh, health's deteriorated a little bit. I've got a little bit of a cold at the minute, but I'm sure that I'll be... Uh, back fit and firing for, for the next podcast following this. But yeah, we'll soldier on through this one. What about yourself, Chris? Yeah, I'm all good, Nathan. I, I think we should just quickly say, I mean, if anyone questions our dedication to do this podcast, Nathan's on his last legs. Um, and I mean, he, he's still bang up for it. But why wouldn't you be when uh, you've got a Michael Carrick Middlesbrough team to talk about? Um, but yes, I'm all good, thanks. Um, luckily, I haven't come down with the flu like you have. Um, all healthy, all good. Just enjoying, just enjoying watching this Middlesbrough team at the moment, Nathan. And uh, I don't think we should waste any time in, in, in talking about the action this week. So obviously, first of all, Stoke visiting the Riverside on Tuesday night, live on Sky, the main event. Um, of course, during the week there was Champions League ties, but I think everyone, the true football fans in this country and around the world would have been uh, tuning in to watch Michael Carrick's Reds. Uh, Nathan, going into the game, I think we both spoke last week about basically how Stoke were in a false position in the league and how much of a difficult game it was going to be. And I think, to be honest, and not only ourselves, a few a lot of fans thought the same, but I think a lot of people got it right in that Stoke proved to be a very, very difficult test. Yeah, there were. Um, as you say, prior to, to the game, me and you had sort of said that with the squad that they have, they probably should be performing a little bit better. Um, and the reasons that they probably haven't is changes of manager. Um, Alex Neal, of course, came into, into Stoke earlier on in the season and struggled in the opening stages of his tenure, but it, it's sort of clicking for them now. And going into this game, they're on a good run of form. They beat Sunderland and Blackburn back-to-back heading into this one. And they were going to be a very difficult test for us coming to the Riverside. Um, but Borough unchanged from from beating Swansea 3-1 away from home. Um, and started the game pretty well. Uh, in fairness, had a few good early chances. Uh, the first one was uh, sort of fortuitous, uh, a stoke mistake at the back. Uh, ben Wilmot trying to knock the ball back to his goalkeeper. Tuba sort of pounces on it and tries to get his shot away early and bends it just far, uh, far wide of the, the far post. Um, and then that man again, has another chance on the edge of the box this time, centre of the goal, tries to whip the ball right in at the top corner and it clips the bar, bounces back. And yeah, it was 
a good start, uh, up the the intensity a little bit, um, and the goal eventually did come from Tuberakpom, his third chance of the game, and he puts this one away a third time. Lucky. Um, the goal actually was a really good break from Borough. Uh, ben Pearson's dwelling on the ball a little bit in midfield for Stoke because they're, they're in Middlesbrough's half of the pitch. Tuba wins the ball off him, flicks it to Aaron Ramsey and then does really well to just out-muscle Ben Pearson, gets him out of the way. There was a lot of sort of complaints from, from Stoke fans on, on Twitter and, and also in the ground of possibly a foul on Pearson. But no, we, we know what he's like. He's he's a little bit of a shithouse and he hasn't got away with that one there. Um, Just got bullied off the ball by Tuba. Borough strided forward. Aaron Ramsey lays in Riley McGree. And there was a little bit of worry for me that this chance was going to come to an end. Dujon Sterling's flying back, trying to trying to recover and nick the ball off McGree. But McGree does well. Off balance, sort of lays the ball in the tuba and, and it's a good finish with his right foot beyond Bonham. And it did sort of settle my nerves a little bit. Uh, I felt that should we get one in the game, then it had sort of, not kill the game, but it it'd make the game a lot more comfortable for Middlesbrough. What did you feel about that, Chris? Did you think that one goal would sort of put Middlesbrough in the ascendancy a little bit in the game and once they got one, they'd get two or three? Or did you think that Stoke could be a little bit more difficult than that? Yeah, I think, obviously, the first goal was always going to be important, especially, I think you know, realistically, most teams now, especially with the, the current run of form that we're on, are going to come to the Riverside and sit in. And in fairness to Stoke, they, they didn't really do that the scale that we've, we've seen from some other sides that have, you know, just come and, and been quite happy to, to take a point. Stoke, in fairness, didn't really do that and, and credit to them for that. But uh, yeah, on the first goal, it, it, it certainly settled my nerves and it, it did feel like a matter of time, actually. Obviously, as you say, Tuba has the the first real chance of the game, puts that wide. You sort of, I mean, you would have put your house on him, really, to stick that away. Um, and then hits the crossbar and it, it, it did feel like a, a goal was coming. And obviously, we, we take the lead, but I all always felt um, knowing, you know, going into the game that Stoke had scored eight goals in the previous two games and, and the type of calibre of player that they have, that one goal was probably never going to really be enough. Um, and obviously it, it turned out that way. Uh, but yeah, similarly to what you said, I, I thought McGree had perhaps uh, ran it too wide and wasn't basically going to be able to get the ball back across to Tuba, which he, he does actually do very well to do, uh, given Sterling's pace. I think we saw that all night, didn't we? And, uh, yeah, who else to score the 1,000th goal at the, at the Riverside Stadium? It was uh, quite fitting, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, as I say, third time lucky in the game for, for Tuba Pom Scores that goal. Fantastic celebration as well. Um, for those that don't know, I was watching the game on Sky, uh, uni student and all that. So, yeah, the Lincoln Student Union heard a, a slight roar from, from the upper tier. Um, but it, it wasn't for long, really, um, that 
my jubilation was was held because Stoke grew quite quickly into the game following uh, the opener and equalised just before half-time through Kiana Herver. Um, the goal comes from the middle of the park. Josh Laurent plays a crossfield switch towards Herver on Stoke's right-hand side, Borough's left. And with three minutes added time at the end of the first half, you're hoping that Borough just sort of chill out, see things out. But Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough always want to be on the front foot. And Ryan Giles has took it a little bit too literally in this sense and has tried to pluck the ball out the air with his head and get Middlesbrough on that front foot, looking to attack and hit Stoke on the break. And he's just not tall enough to win this header. Uh, the ball clips his head, finds Herver on that right-hand side. He drives into the Middlesbrough box and he slides an effort through the legs of Zach Steffen and it's 1-1 going into the break. Um, I think that on the balance of things, on the balance of chances, certainly in the first half, it probably wasn't too deserved. Yeah. Um, because of Middlesbrough's early pressure, we'd had a lot of chances in the early stages of the game. Yes, Stoke had grown into the game and ha had a lot of possession uh, following Middlesbrough's goal. But yeah, they got that leveller. Um, a lot of people were quick to blame Zach Steffen for this one because, yes, of course, the ball's gone through his legs. But I think that uh, Ryan Giles will be, will be disappointed in himself for this one, just being caught out with that long ball. Yeah, yeah, I, I tend to agree, to be honest. You know, it's, um, as, as you put it, really, you know, I think Ryan Giles wants to get on the front foot and, and wants to sort of get attacking because one thing that was clear to me in the first half was that Stokes' back line just couldn't really, couldn't really not get going, but almost they just looked a little bit uncomfortable, um, especially Ben Wilmot and, um, I think he's a right-footed player and he was obviously playing off the left. Uh, there was three or four times where he tried to just clip a ball out with full-back and basically with his weaker foot just put the ball out of play. He didn't look all too comfortable at all. Um, obviously, Tuber had had that chance from him, sort of dilly-dallying really. And uh, I think Ryan Giles probably felt that if he could just nick that ball and start a counter-attack, he could perhaps start something off and, and potentially put the game to bed. But obviously, yeah, he's just a, a few inches too small. And uh, and Herva gets in behind, who I actually thought all night um, impressed. I know quite ironically um, in this situation, it was a, a Wolves right back versus a, a Wolves left back. Um, a lot of the Wolf fans, really quite surprisingly to me anyway, are not huge fans of of Herva at all. Um, and he's impressed me. And of course, going into the game, had even been in goal scoring form. Got two against Blackburn, didn't he? Um, in their in their previous game, and yeah, I, I I think a lot of the blame has to go to Giles. You know, ultimately, if he wins that header, and doesn't try and anticipate things, it's cleared and Stoke probably have to recycle things and go again. But in this case, yeah, um, he misses the ball and then Stefan 
look, he doesn't really cover himself in glory. I think if he watches it back, he probably thinks he should do a little bit better. Um, but I think in this case, perhaps you've got to look at Giles more than Stefan, perhaps. Um, and I guess sometimes you'd say, well, the goalkeeper's there to bail you out in situations like that. But, um, yeah, I, I guess going into the second half, he, he sort of redeems himself, doesn't he? Um, but, yeah, it's it's not, it's not a great goal to concede at all. And actually, a lot of the Stoke chances in the second half were purely down to Stoke's passing down to their transitions and down to them really dominating the midfield and playing through the thirds, whereas this goal comes from our mistakes more than anything. Yeah, it does. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's cost us a little bit as well. I think if you go into, if you go into halftime, one nil up, um, the, the game's a lot different then. I think that it makes the game more open in the second half. And if it is that, that way, then it means that Stoke are a little bit more liable at the back and, and Borough probably create a few more chances than they did in that second half. And yeah, it wasn't to be the case. Stoke were buoyed by that goal coming into the second half and created the the much better chances in the in the second 45 as well. Um, they dominated a lot of possession, pinned Middlesbrough back into their own half. When Middlesbrough tried to play out in the usual way that they do, Stoke pressed really, really well, especially on Johnny Housen and Hayden Hackney. Wouldn't let those two boys turn and play into the front front men. Um, yeah, they, they played really, really well and were probably one of, one of, if not the most difficult test I think that Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough have come up against so far. Um, and as I said, they had the better chances. They had a header from Jacob Brown that was saved by Stefan from relatively point-blank range. Uh, then the ball was cleared behind for a corner by Barlasser and the corner comes in, sort of breaks and then and then is whipped back into the box and uh, small bones coming into the back post. And for for all that Middlesbrough had uh, defended quite well, it looked like this one was arrowing into the top corner and yeah, Stefan does really, really well to fling his right leg towards the ball and, and, and deflect it wide. But yeah, I think that from my perspective, watching the game on Sky, it felt like a point gained, really. Yeah. Um, having watched Middlesbrough not play at their best, I think it, it's completely fair to say that. Um and Stoke looked very, very dangerous in that second half. Pretty much every time they came forward, they looked dangerous. Um, I think that what we did see from Middlesbrough was a lot of tired legs in midfield. Um, you look at players that started the game, Aaron Ramsey and Riley McGree both looked shattered for me. Um, Ramsey was taken off uh, for, for Marcus Force. And yeah, they, I think that in midfield as well, as I say, Housen and Hackney both pressed incredibly well by Laurent and Pearson in midfield for Stoke. And it, it made our midfield to look a lot poorer than they are really because mm. of how well Stoke performed. 
um, they came to the Riverside and not only upset us, but imposed their own way of playing on us. And they did that really, really, really well. And um, probably felt a little bit hard done by that they didn't actually get all three points. So from my perspective, it was probably a point gained. Yeah, yeah, I tend to agree with you again. Um, obviously, being at the match myself, there was numerous times in the second half where I turned to my dad and said, this is a matter of when, not if. Um, obviously, in reference to them going on and, and getting a second and, and taking the lead, it, it felt, to be honest, like, obviously, it's it's always a little bit worse, I think, when you're in the stadium and sort of, the momentum's building with the team. It, it, it just did feel like they were inevitably going to score. And as the game went later and later and later, yeah, as you say, it started to feel like, well, I'd, I'd be more than happy with, with the point here. And as, I mean, we've mentioned one of the chances that they had, a small bone in, in midfield just seemed to be involved with everything, whether it be a pass or a cross or a shot in that instance. Um, everything was was going through him and yeah I mean fortunate in a way I guess um, a couple of times and, and then some terrific goalkeeping from Zach Stefan I think it's only fair that given that we sort of pulled him up on the first that we we rightfully um, you know give him the credit he deserves for two saves realistically that he has no right to make to be honest especially the second from Smallbone it is the ridiculous save um and yeah i think you're right they really put their game plan to us rather than allowing us to put our game plan onto them and then trying to deal with it that way um and i, I felt like for the first time in truthfully i can't remember how many games that actually our midfield was probably the reason why we were suffering, I guess, in the game. Um, listen, it would be utterly ridiculous of me to overly criticise Hayden Hackney, but I think that was probably on Tuesday night one of the poorer performances that he's put up since he's come into the side. And I mean, you know, you really can't complain. He's given his age and how good he's been. I think we can let him off for one game. Um, but one thing I did feel like made quite the difference was also uh, obviously Johnny House and going off. I felt like we lost a little bit in the midfield in, in terms of someone that was just going to do the ugly side of things, perhaps a, a little bit more than what Hackney does sometimes. Uh, obviously, Barlas, I come on. And I don't think he could quite find his passing range a, a few times. You give the ball away and... and, and really at, at times where we needed to retain the ball and sort of calm the crowd down almost because as Carrick referenced, and I think we'll go on to it, obviously once we sort of concluded, it was getting really nervy inside the stadium. There was a few sort of groans and moans when perhaps we were giving the ball away or, or just not quite uh, managing it to really get a hold of the game because as I say it felt like a matter of if rather than when with all those um, stoke attacks and, and for me and I know we've spoken about it since but 
the game was just crying out for a little bit of an outball. And I think that's where we massively, massively miss Matt Crooks. Obviously not in the squad again with a knock. And I think that was almost the perfect game for the big tree because putting him on would have allowed us to change it up a little bit, have a bit of a plan B and basically play off him because Cameron Archer worked his socks off all night and obviously Marcus Force come on as well and, and try to press their back line a little bit. Sonny Finch even even come on and try to do a little bit, but up against Twan Zabe and uh, Wilmot, um, they were almost fighting a losing battle, weren't they? So, yeah, it was uh, unfortunate that we didn't have the big tree in the squad because I feel like it would have made quite a big difference. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, 100%, Chris. I think that... With Matt Crooks, as we've seen, a bit of an unorthodox centre-forward, but he can do the hold-up sort of game that you want. And, OK, he's not the quickest, but he'll run the channels for you as well. He'll, yeah. uh, he, he is that out-ball that I think we were crying out for at times. I think that we were trying to, to play into channels um, with with force going going to that right-hand side when, when Finch came on. And down the left as well. And especially down that right-hand side, Dujon Sterling's pace was just unbelievable. Every single time that it looked like Middlesbrough may have a chance to attack down that right-hand side, Sterling's pace would recover for him. And yeah, it was it was a bit of a difficult watch, really, uh, in that second half, especially just because we struggled to get out uh, of our own half quite a lot. And... Um, Something that was spoken about on on Twitter and also by by Michael Carrick was, of course, as you mentioned, the the atmosphere at the Riverside on Tuesday evening. And from my perspective, obviously, I'm watching from from t uh, from TV, and obviously with TV, they, they pan to the crowd at various moments in the game when the commentators are sort of making points about the atmosphere being nervy and you could see on fans' faces that it was not only nervy, but there was sort of aspects of, I wouldn't say disappointment, but sort of unexpected that Stoke were putting up such a, a good performance from, from themselves. And... I sort of made the point on, on, on Twitter the other day that there should be absolutely no expectation from yeah. from fans going into going into championship games. Yes, we've had an absolutely unbelievable run at it under Michael Carrick so far. Um it was 15 wins in, in 21 games following the Stoke game. And that is silly numbers really for for anyone let alone a team that was struggling at the the lower parts of the table when the manager came into the football club and to play a side in Stoke that are typically a very difficult side to break down but not only that now going into this game one of the form sides in the division picking up wins against some of the most difficult sides in the division. When you look at Sunderland away as a fixture, you think that that's always going to be one of the most difficult games of a championship team's calendar. And they went there and wiped the floor with them and then played Blackburn, who had come off the back of beating Sheffield United at home in their last game 
and then went to the bet 365 and, and were defeated by Stoke. Going into this game, it was always expected that Stoke were going to be a difficult test. And the way that they've been so successful is through pressing and pressing really well. They don't really care for having the ball too much. They'll they'll just do well to, to press you high up the pitch, nick the ball off you, and then because of the attacking talent that they've got, they'll more than likely pick you off. And Borough in this game weren't at their best in terms of the fluidity through um through the sort of legs of players in midfield. I think as I mentioned earlier, Housing and Hackney, you could sort of see that they were they were running on empty a little bit. And same goes for a few of the attacking players as well. And yeah. Coming out of the game, I think 100% a point was was a fair result. Um, something that you'd take. And listening to Michael Carrick's interview pre-Preston, where he, he spoke about the fans, when things aren't going for the team, that's when they need the fans the most. And I think they certainly got that on, on Saturday afternoon in return, which sort of leads us on nicely to uh, to Preston at home. Yeah, yeah, it does. And it, it was a, I think a lot of people are almost, I don't, I don't want to say a lot of people were almost disappointed by Tuesday, but I guess it's sometimes difficult to put aside emotion when you sort of find yourself in a, a promotion race. And obviously, factoring in the context that, that Sheffield United go to Sunderland the night after and win and get three points and extend the gap to six again. It it was a little bit sort of doom and gloom for about 48 hours on social media where everyone sort of had made the minds up that it was all over and we'd missed our chance and, and that was that. And obviously, of course, factoring in Sheffield United's offside winner at Sunderland as well. I think that probably annoyed a lot of people even more. So, um, but yeah, yeah, it, you know, I think it goes to show how right Michael Carrick approached the topic after the game at the fact of the atmosphere that we saw obviously yesterday. Um, it's always a little bit tricky. I think for managers to discuss the atmosphere and discuss the fans, especially at the home stadium, without crossing a line and, and being a little bit disrespectful. And I think managers have got it wrong in the past. Um, I seem to remember I talk around a poking fun at playing two up front when everyone was crying out for two up front. And then we got beat at Blackburn and he pretty much said, well, that's why we don't do it. Um, and it rubbed a few people up the wrong way. But I think Carrick approached it spot on, um, you know, talked up the fans to then also say, listen, they've been fantastic, but also we need them in moments like that. And, and as I've mentioned, and as you've said, I think given the performance versus Preston and given the atmosphere, it was sort of a, that bounce back ability again, I guess. And it was a, a match made in heaven for, for what was 
as convincing of a performance as you could possibly ever imagine, really. Yeah, it was. I think bounce back abilities always been the sort of word about Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough so far. When they do face any sort of adversity, they do really well in bouncing back and they faced a little bit of adversity in the week, of course, drawing a game. It's not the worst thing in the world, but it it's may still be to say that, doesn't it? I mean, a draw in a, against an informed side, and I mean, yes, at this stage of the season, it's understandable. But a draw against Stoke, and everyone had lost their minds, and it just—it's still ridiculous to even sort of think that we're in the situation that we're in. But I guess everything there with the context of of the table applied, I, I guess. Some people would argue it was uh, justified, but some uh, probably not. And I think rightfully not, really. Yeah, so a little bit of adversity in the week and a difficult test once again coming up on Saturday. And I'm not going to lie, I was worried going into this one just because of... The, there's not necessarily any sort of pressure on, on this Middlesbrough side. Of course... We are the chasers in this race uh, yeah. for automatic promotion, which is always a good thing. I'd rather be the chasers than being the chased. And yeah, there was sort of a, a little bit of an eye from the rest of the championship in terms of the neutral fans looking at the table, thinking, well, can Middlesbrough win this game and make things interesting once again? Um, tightening that gap on Sheffield United back to three points. And what stood in the way was a Preston side that were unbeaten in seven games going into this fixture and a Preston side that have been, well, I think it's fair to say a pain in the arse for Middlesbrough in the last few seasons. Um, they are a side that always sort of a difficult test in the championship but never really go anywhere and they'll just pop up with some weird result where they'll beat one of the top chasers away from home or at home like they did against us last season with the 4-1 but yeah a difficult test going into this one uh, and also not helped by the fact that Preston brought a lot of fans to this game. It was uh, their gentry day, their one fixture in the season, which a lot of a lot of clubs in Lancashire do this pretty well, which is uh, acknowledging those fans that that have died in the past year and, and and players as well. And yeah, I think that's a really good thing that the Lancashire clubs do. It's a it's a really nice touch. And yeah, it was good to see uh, Preston fans in in a in a bit of good tradition good tr- tradition at the Riverside. This weekend, but the hope was that Middlesbrough rained on their parade, and that was exactly what happened. Um, two changes to the side that drew against Stoke in the week Paddy McNair and Aaron Ramsey dropped out, Dale Fry and Marcus Force coming into the side. Um, I think that those were changes that possibly weren't weren't expected but if there were changes no one's really going to complain um i think that as i mentioned earlier aaron ramsey looked shot 
the other day uh, on Tuesday. He looked dead on his feet, ran himself into the ground and was substituted on, on, on 65 minutes. And yeah, I think that he's been performing really, really well um, in the last few games. But we have options in this squad and Marcus Force, who was possibly unrightly dropped uh, from the, the starting eleven a few weeks ago was always going to be be brought back in at some point. And again, a, f- a fair change. What did you make of the lineup, Chris? Yeah, I think it was... I think we all expected changes. And it's quite an interesting situation where we all expected changes, but then also if you'd asked most people which changes they'd like to see, I think there wouldn't have been huge appetite in terms of wholesale changes. But then again, you know, we're at a stage now where sort of you can almost pick eight, possibly even nine of the starting 11 before the teams even come out and and you know that they're going to be there. Um, And obviously, given that Housen had sort of escaped getting his, his... 10th booking I think it would have been um, in the Stoke game he was available um, and actually you know you look at the two changes and it feels like they're sort of the only two changes that can actually happen that sort of I don't want to say don't weaken us because we have such a strong squad but almost don't go against the structure of the team Um, obviously even people like you know, Tommy Smith, who is just a, a staple of this Middlesbrough side now. If Anthony Dykesteel come into the team, I don't think anyone would be massively concerned about a drop-off in quality, but almost he feels undroppable if you if you see where I'm coming from. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a strange one, but I do think changes were needed just to freshen things up a little bit. Um, I didn't think that Dan Barlasa would come in, who's I guess you'd argue the sort of third uh, change that sometimes people would consider. It's obviously always going to be Force or Ramsey or McNair or Fry. And then I think Barlas is probably the third. Uh, But yeah, as I say, I never felt like that would be a change um, given how well our midfield's done for the last however long. Uh, But yes, I think the changes were needed. And again, they they proved the right decisions from Michael Carrick. Yeah, they did. Um, as you say, we probably did need freshening up. Um, as we've mentioned, there was a lot of players out there on Tuesday after sixty minutes that looked pretty much dead out, out dead on the feet out there. And um, yeah, freshening it up was always going to be something good for this for this Middlesbrough side. Um, as you say, there's plenty of quality on the bench that are, that are available to come in and, and, and do just as good a job as those that leave the side. And and those guys that came in did just that. And in the early stages, there wasn't too much to shout about in terms of chances, but Borough made the breakthrough after about 20 minutes. Some good play on the edge of the Preston box, carve out a fantastic opening and I mean we just don't even really need to 
mention the name of who who scored the goal. But yeah, Chubarakpom, the championship top goal scorer, extends his lead at the top of the goal scoring charts. The man is just unbelievable. Johnny Housen plays it into him. He plays a neat one-two with Cameron Archer and he takes his one touch with his right foot, fires it with his left foot beyond Freddie Woodman. Borough one to the good. And in this game, it did make me feel that once we got one, the game would be a little bit more open and we would be able to extend our lead quite comfortably. And it wasn't for the want of trying in the first half, but yeah, it it did sort of settle any sort of nerves in the ground that were possibly there. Although you couldn't really sense any in the early stages at the Riverside, I think that it was very much getting behind the boys and trying to just put Preston on the back foot and trying to kill them off as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah, it certainly did feel like that. And and given Carrick's comments, I think it almost seemed that the stadium knew their job on the day. Once it had went to one, they knew that that second goal was going to be crucial. And, you know, I think everyone sort of understood as long as we got the second, that was going to be sort of the end of Preston's attempts at getting anything out of the game. Um. But just before we do move on to the second goal, Nathan, I just want to tell a short story, actually. I know there's been a clip going round on Twitter of um, some someone, I'm not sure who, but someone in the, in the Upper West being really disappointed that we, we were sort of playing it slowly, keeping hold of the ball. And then Ryan Giles bursts through and obviously sets up Marcus Force. For the fourth, um, I, I think that I think the quote was, it's all very pretty, but it's not achieving anything or, or, or something along them lines. Um, I actually had my own version of this. Unfortunately, I didn't get it on record. Um, but yeah, so I'm sat at the match. Um, Obviously, I think all Middlesbrough fans accept that at least once a game, Zach Steffen makes you a little nervy, but we're all used to it by now. And, and I think we're all sort of growing to love it a little bit. Um, but anyway, Zach Steffen at the start of the move has the ball and someone behind me continuously throughout up until we scored the first would not be quiet about how he thought that pretty much it would be more beneficial for Stefan to try and hit Cameron Archer um, and basically play off a striker that is, I mean, below six foot. About so 5'8". Yeah, 5'8". So, I mean, there's that in it to begin with. Even if Cameron Archer was an extraordinary jumper, it would be uh, pretty remarkable if we were playing off a 5'8 striker. But anyway, uh, yes, uh, throughout the first... 15 to 20 minutes continuously 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 going on about playing out from the back and and how it causes more problems than it does good um and then quite interestingly once Zach Stefan had lured two Preston players in to press him 
which then allowed Johnny Houghton the space to actually turn on the ball and get the counter-attack started off, um, which led to the goal. Um, yeah, there was subsequently almost silence from uh, the, the person that had been so adamant that Zach Steffen was causing issues in our back line. Um, and to be honest, even his mates poked fun at him and sort of said, what are you talking about? Um, but yeah, it is... It, it's... Uh, I take great joy in it when almost not only proving opposition's fans wrong, but it's almost just as funny when some people who perhaps maybe just don't watch this Middlesbrough team a lot or perhaps just haven't yet bought into the way that Michael Carrick wants us to play. But it is one of those moments where you just think, I wish that could have been clipped up because it, it was honestly comedy gold. And uh, yeah, fortunately, Zach Steffen wasn't listening to the certain individual behind me. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure that Preston's bat lines would have been eating up those long balls that Stefan was uh, should have been playing into Archer. Yeah, I mean, I would say that I'd love to see an aerial duel between Cameron Archer and Bambo Diaby, but no, I'm all right. I don't think that that's a, a very, very good idea. And, and thank God Michael Carrick doesn't think that way as well. Um, but yeah. Going into the second half now, Borough 1-0 up. And I think, as you mentioned earlier, Chris, once it went to, I think it was game, set, match. And the contrast in the weather between the first half and the second half was just quite frankly unbelievable. Um, yeah. You'd be watching EFL on Quest or EFL, the ITV highlight show, and you see Tuberak Pomscar Middlesbrough go and you think, oh, bloody hell, it's a really lovely sort of spring day. It's March. It's getting towards Easter time. The sun's out at the riverside. It looks unbelievable there. The weather looks fantastic. The fans look like they're having a fantastic time in the sun. Borough 1-0 up. And then sort of just phases into the second half and it is absolutely torrential rain. It's unbelievable. But, yeah, that is the point that I am getting onto, that the rain actually really helps us out here with a ball down the side from Ryan Giles. And it looks like for nine times out of ten, Bambo Diaby's favourite to win this ball, 100%. And I think I can't even describe what happens. It looks like he's on roller skates. Yeah. It seems like he's slipped past the ball. Archer's got onto it. He sidestepped past the, the Preston defender and he's fired the ball into the top corner. 2-0 to the good now. Cameron Archer gets his goal against Preston, the side that... He was at last season. He caused Middlesbrough all sorts of problems on the final day last season when he was in a Preston shirt. And, yeah, he got that goal. Chose not to celebrate. Fair play to him. Um, yeah, from then on, it was very, very comfortable. And rather quickly after that, Borough went three. 
to the to the good. Yeah, and it was that man again, wasn't it? Um, whipping out his bone and arrow again. And, well, I mean, I say whipping out his bone and arrow. Um, he didn't actually because he didn't celebrate. It was a shame, although I did see some videos on Twitter of some of the uh, young fans in the, in the in the family zone actually doing it in the stands. So fair play to them because someone needed to do it, obviously, with the absence of it, thanks to uh, Cameron Archer, just being a, a respectful lad. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's just another goal in the catalogue of wonderful moves from Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough side. Um, Giles is involved, Houghton's involved, Tuba's involved, and obviously Cameron Archer's involved. And it potentially could be one of the most aesthetically pleasing goals of the season obviously as you say the rain had come pouring down and by the time it makes its way to Cameron Archer he takes the perfect first touch to set himself and fires it low and hard and yeah it was just beautiful to watch really um I did feel a little bit bad for the Preston fans, given that it was sort of their big day. And, I mean, just like any situation that football fans are aware of, if you've got an ex-player playing and there's any sort of big occasion on the day, they always end up scoring. And in this case, he gets his brace and doesn't celebrate again. But the Riverside certainly were celebrating because it's just another wonderful goal, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it sort of comes because of the scoreline and because Preston are a little bit more open, but Middlesbrough adjusted their fluid, brilliant best. And yeah, Johnny Housen picks up the ball, plays the ball to, to Ryan Giles on that left flank. Giles could lay into McGree. McGree does well to ignore the pass. Tube is behind him. Juba then picks up the ball, lays it off into Cameron Archer, as you say, gets the ball out of his feet and fires a shot low and hard. On reflection, it's not actually that far in the corner, but no one's complaining. It doesn't matter. Cameron Archer gets his second home goal for Middlesbrough. Um, his first, obviously, coming minutes before. And, yeah, unfortunately, no bow and arrow uh at the riverside but yeah borough cruising were just brilliant from then on really so comfortable in possession of the football and yeah i did think that the changes would start coming and, and they were um dan barlassa came on alex mauer came on Mark Bowler came on in a attacking midfield position, which was quite fun to watch. And yeah, at 3-0, it was comfortable. It was plain sailing, but it did nearly go 3-1. Uh, a good ball from Alvaro Fernandez onto Tom Cannon. And do you want to know what? It's a really, really good save from Zach Stefford. Uh, he flicks this one wide of... His goal wide of the far corner. It's a really good save. It keeps his clean sheet intact and it settles any sort of jangling nerves that may have came had that ball hit the back of the net. 
Um, but then we see Bambo Diaby, who had a torrid time in that second half, get sent off. He'd already been booked for an incident with Marcus Force following, oh, sorry, in the midst of a Borough corner um, where I, I couldn't really tell what happened. But something that must be said is Ryan Giles and Hayden Hackney outstanding, dragging Marcus Force away, telling him to just behave himself. Don't do anything stupid. We need you for the run-in. And yeah, both both of those booked. Luckily, Force kept his behaviour intact uh, for the rest of the game and uh, and just settled with a yellow card. But Diaby on the halfway line, a, a horrific first touch really lets Chubrak pom in. And you're just hoping that when Diaby's trying to get back, just don't foul him. If you foul him, you're getting sent off. And you don't need to because he's probably going to score. He, he's probably going to score. The game's done anyway. And it. I just want Schubert's lead at the top of the championship goal-scoring charts to be away and over the hills. So, yeah. Anyway, Diaby, in the... Uh, just a rash moment from him, just fouls Chubrak Pom on the edge of the box, gets himself sent off. I mean, I can't believe the referee gave him a second yellow card. It should have been just a straight red anyway. But Diaby was given his marching orders uh, and he did. He did a lap, lap of the riverside as Alex Mowat was setting up a free kick. And throughout the season, as a Middlesbrough fan, when we signed Alex Mowat, I uh, obviously scoured through through Twitter and had a look at the opposition fans' view of, of Alex Mowat to sort of get a gauge of what the feeling was around him when he left West Brom and also from Barnsley fans who he played for a few seasons ago and was fantastic. And I've still got two Alex Mauer meme videos saved in my phone from September time when he signed for the club. One of which, as he's walking down the tunnel at Orkwell, he says, what a screamer that was by me. And another one that is of him rapping when he's about 10 yeah, on a stage and the caption around it says, you just got Alex Morted. And it was nearly, nearly the time to use it with Alex Mauer stepping up for a free kick. No more than 25 yards out. And he's curled it with his left foot and it looks like it's going flying in the top corner. And I thought, oh my God, this is it. Yeah. And it cannons off the bar and bounces down. Tuber's there trying to get that header as a rebound, but it just doesn't fall for him. But I can't express my uh, my disappointment enough that it was it was another week slash month of uh, not being able to use those those Alex Mowat memes. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was, do you know what? I was absolutely devastated because I know just from the pure amount of times that you've just sent them to me just randomly in the hope that he eventually scores for us. Um, and I saw it hit the underside of the bar and I thought this is going to look even more aesthetically pleasing 
in off the underside of the bar, bouncing in into the top of the net. And then when it bounced the other side and bounced out, I do you know what? I immediately thought of you and thought he's going to be devastated because I know how much you're just desperate to use one or, or both, I think, because potentially that may have been the only time that he might score. Who knows? He may have a huge say in the running and score the goal that was promoted. We, ne- we, we simply don't know. But given his substitute cameos, he usually normally has probably one striker cameo, depending on if we're in the lead. And he's had a few that have hit the back of the north stand uh, but this one, it looked in all the way. And yeah, you, you, your fingers were going ready to just send the tweet off. And uh, unfortunately, you had to stick it back in the drafts and, and save it for another day. But yeah, it was, it was devastating because it, 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 could have been, it could have been the moment for the memes, Nathan. It could have been. Um, I think... Well, the hope is that it's being put on ice for either an absolute scorcher away at Kenilworth Road in the running or yeah. an absolute rip snorter in off the bar against Coventry on the final <laughs> day. But yeah, we'll, we'll put the memes on ice for a little bit longer and uh, we'll get to discussing Borough's fourth and final goal of the game, which came through. The uh, fantastic Finn Marcus Force, um, as you mentioned earlier, the the viral video that's circulating around Twitter at the minute is of the fan that says, "Yeah, it's all pretty and all, but it's not going anywhere." And Borough playing some fantastic football, just knocking it round the back very comfortably, and uh, Dan Barlasser knocks it into Giles. Giles does really well, actually. Sort of flicks it with his left off his right and, and past the, the Preston midfielder. Drives forward, drives into space down that left flank, squares it and forces there to easily tap home. Giles' second assist of the game. But the funniest part of this goal for me was the crowd had started to empty a little bit. And... Um, the, the the Riverside atmosphere had sort of dampened a little bit as it was sort of rolling towards the end of the game and you could sort of hear what the players were shouting a little bit towards yeah. the, the end of the game and as Ryan Giles has got hold of the ball you hear Tommy Smith shout Gilo, pass it back keep the ball and Gilo's completely ignored him, gone flying on a lung-busting run, squared the ball and scored. And I'd love to hear what Tommy Smith said uh, to, to Ryan Giles following that goal. But, yeah, Borough, 4-0 winners, scored that fourth goal. And, I mean, it won't do the goal difference any harm, will it, Chris? No, it, it won't. And, I mean, I've, I've got a confession to make, to be truthfully honest. Um, and you'll know Nathan because for anyone that doesn't know Nathan sits probably five rows down possibly possibly even less from our seat to the match Um, and basically with minutes perhaps even seconds left on the clock I think the rain's coming down I'm at the match um, with with my mum 
and she says, come on, Chris, we'll, we'll, we'll go now. And I know it, it is bad, but bless her, she wanted to uh, to beat the traffic. And I thought, you know what, if, if this is nil-nil or 1-1, or we're not going anywhere. But it's 3-0. I can, I can accept that that's job done. Into the international break, happy days. Get to look at the table with that wonderful goal difference. Anyway, down into the concourse from the stairs. And I quickly say, right, pretty much before the journey, I'm just going for a quick number one. Anyway, get into the toilet, hear a massive roar, think, brilliant, that's full time. Walk out of the toilet, everyone's applauding in the concourse. And I'm thinking, hang on, as soon as, usually if you're in the concourse for full time, it's, it's a quick sort of cheer if you've won the game and then everyone's out and it's just a rush of who can get back to the cars first or get back to the home and, and celebrate the win. In this case, players have sort of congregated round the corner flag and I'm thinking, surely I haven't. Yeah, that replay comes round and uh, I get to see that Marcus Force has added a fourth to the, to the goals tally. Um, Obviously, I've seen the goal back. It's a ridiculous run from Ryan Giles. Um, and actually, I don't know where he's been hiding that little burst of pace because we know that he's, you know, dynamic on the left wing and we know he can deliver a wonderful cross. But that's the first time where this season he's really gone into sort of super boost and just burst past people as though he's put the sliders up on FIFA. And he's whipped a great ball in and obviously Marcus Force gets his goal. So, I mean, there was the disappointment in that from me. But listen, it's a fourth goal. It was the cherry on the cake. Unfortunately, the cherry on my cake just fell off and went missing because I didn't even see it live. Um, but yeah, I mean, the stat that we put out on Twitter, Nathan, afterwards, Tuberakpon. And I guess this is more so a, a point on, on Marcus Force. Labelled as a development striker at the start of the season. Not the only player to be reborn in a different position under Michael Carrick. That goal takes him to 13 goal involvements for the season. When you think that when we were promoted, Christian Stewani was our top goal scorer off the right with seven league goals. It's, it's outstanding, really, what an impact that he's had. And, I mean, it is that conversation again where, you know, even though Aaron Ramsey had a phenomenal impact in the, in the previous two games, especially Swansea, terrific. But Marcus Force never really did anything wrong to sort of lose his place in the team. And actually, I think the last time he started a game was West Brom away. And that feels like a lifetime ago. But to, to get on the score sheet again, I mean, that tweet that I was referencing, the fact that Tuba's goal involvements um, put alongside Marcus Force's goal involvements totaled up to be 40 goals. It's just remarkable, isn't it? And, uh, and it, it's just so uncharacteristic of typical Borough to just go on, add more goals when they're not necessary. Normally, a, a Middlesbrough side would have been happy just to get the first and then sit in and end up conceding an equaliser. 
this Borough team just wants to score goals. It's never satisfied with enough goals. And uh, it's a trait that, honestly, I, I, I could really, really get used to, to be honest. Yeah, and I think that after years and years and years of being served up, Tony Pulis, Neil Warnock, Gary Monk to an extent, I think that we deserve this. We deserve an attacking Middlesbrough that isn't necessarily gung-ho, but is just so fluid going forward. And just, I mean, I was having a look earlier on at the, the championship table and having a look at the detailed version of it. And, of course, as you would expect, Burnley have scored the most goals in the league with 74. And I knew that Borough had scored the second most, but I didn't know the exact figure. 69 league goals this season now for Middlesbrough. Um, Just for context, the team that have scored the third most is, is Sheffield United, and they've scored 58. So 11 league goals less than Middlesbrough so far this season. And to score nearly 70 league goals at this stage of the season with, with eight league games remaining is truly remarkable stuff and, and the stuff of dreams for a Middlesbrough fan because I remember a few years ago under Tony Pulis where we finished seventh in the championship table um, just missing out on the playoffs. And I'm actually sure that we miss we missed out on the playoffs in that season and scored 49 goals, I think it was, in the full season. Yes. Yeah. We've scored we've scored 20 more than that with eight games to go, which is truly brilliant stuff, really. And long may that continue for for Tubrak Pom, of course his story's been been spoken about and, and will be continually spoken about from now to the run-in, especially if he continues this this level of form. It's not even form anymore. It's just the way things are going in the career of Chubrak Pom. But something that hasn't been spoken about is Marcus Force, uh, quite as much as it pro- possibly should have been. And that is the 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 development striker label. Um Yes, Chris Wilder got a few things right at Middlesbrough in, in the early part of his tenure. And yeah, the second part with the first 10 games of this, he got a lot wrong. And to label a player that came in at the football club that cost £3 million a development player and in his first season, he scored nine league goals okay I, I don't want to jinx the double figures one yet but to score nine league goals and he's not technically playing as an out and out striker for a lot of that period of the season uh, that time of the season it is quite remarkable and it is nice for once to see the goals being spread around the team and not just the goals being spread around but a bucket full of goals being spread around the team. Just looking at a few of the players, Riley McGree scored six, which yeah. again is 
is fantastic. I wouldn't have expected that at the start of the season. Um, of course, Chubrapom's away and gone as Middlesbrough's top scorer, as he is the leagues as well. Cameron Archer scored six goals since coming in since January. Matt Crooks has scored six goals as well. Aaron Ramsey, yes, he scored a few goals for, for Norwich in that time, but he's got three since coming in in January. So, yeah, the goals have been fired in from all different angles, and, and that's fantastic. My only ask is I want a few more bullet headers from Daryl Lenahan and a few yeah. more uh, screamers from Tommy Smith. But apart from that, there's absolutely no complaints from me. And those four goals, three points and a clean sheet on Saturday pulled the gap to Sheffield United to three points. Of course, Sheffield United fans will tell me that they've got a game in hand, but I'd rather have the points on the board now and, and keep the pressure firmly on them. And now we fall into an international break, um, a week end off for Borough, um, eight games to go for us, eight players off from the, from the squad, to go and represent various countries. I'm not going to name them all because I can't remember them all off the top of my head. Um, but a little bit of context going into the international break. Borough, eight to go. Sheffield United, nine games to go. Today's result, this is being filmed and recorded on Sunday evening. So Sheffield United have played their FA Cup quarterfinal against Blackburn Rovers, and it was a really good game in fairness. Um, a really exciting affair between two really, really good championship sides. And Sheff United came out on top, 90th minute goal, won the game 3 2 for them. So they're off to Wembley to face uh, the easy task of uh, Manchester City in a FA Cup semi final. But the hope is that the fixtures pile up for them. I think that this is what all Middlesbrough fans were hoping for, that they would go through this game, get to a Wembley semi-final, have their eyes, possibly looking at that Wembley game as a distraction. And of course, they'll have to fit this game in at some point when they were meant to be playing a championship game. And me being the little nerd that I am, I've worked out their games in hand and where they, uh, which ones will have to fit in during this busy schedule for them. So they were meant to play West Brom at home this weekend. A difficult test. Yeah. That's fair to say. Um, West Brom still in that playoff hunt a little bit. I think with nine games to go, the hope will be that you can string a really good run together and take that momentum into the playoffs if you are on that late charge. So they definitely won't be a pushover. And then the other game, because the games are meant to be played on the 22nd or 23rd of April, the other game that they will be missing and will be rearranged is a Yorkshire derby, a trip to take on Neil Warnock's relegation-threatened Huddersfield town the Sheffield United fan, the former Blades manager. Can he put a dent in the Blades promotion hopes? 
Let's bloody hope so. But anyway, speaking of Huddersfield Town, they're up next for yeah. Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough. In two weeks' time, Middlesbrough travel to the John Smith Stadium to take on Huddersfield. And they've gone into the break off the back of a really, really good result. Um, they travelled to the Den yesterday afternoon and by God did they pull off a little bit of a shock. 1-0 uh, to uh, Warnock's men. That one was for effing Musk at that. And uh, yeah, hopefully that result doesn't mean anything come the 1st of April. Um, of course, the man that we are going to talk about in the build-up to this game is Neil Warnock. Of course, me and yourself had the pleasure of speaking to the man earlier on in the season and he wished Michael Carrick and Middlesbrough very well following the departure of Middlesbrough's former manager, as he would have said. Yeah. Um, but I think when me and you spoke to him earlier on in the season, Chris, we did not expect in the slightest that one, we'd be in the position that we're in at this current time of the season. And two, that going into the final running of the season, he'd be standing in the way of what would be a massive three points for Middlesbrough in the running for automatic promotion. Give me your verdict of this one, Chris, because yeah. I can't believe that he's the one that's standing in our path. Yeah, do you know what? I'm laughing to myself because I even remember saying quite early on in the podcast, Neil, how are you enjoying retirement? I don't actually want to say retirement just yet because we're all, we all know what you're like and you never actually retire. And lo and behold... I was actually right because he's back in the game. He's back managing. He can't stay away, can he? Um, yeah, it, it's, as you say, probably just as remarkable that he's back in the game, that we're actually going into this game, trying to close the gap on second place with the chance of potentially getting automatically promoted. It, it just seems crazy really is is the only way to describe it um yeah listen it was it was obviously fantastic to speak to to uh, mr warnock earlier on in the season and as you say you know he was very complimentary i think he was very happy that a certain previous manager had left and what makes that even more interesting nathan is the fact that they play each other um, towards the back end of the season. So I'll be keeping an eye out to see if Mr Wilder and uh, Mr Warnock um, shake hands or give each other a hug or perhaps just give each other the silent treatment um, because there seems to be some sort of bad blood there which is developed from I'm not really sure where, to be honest. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of living for it a little bit. Um, but yes, it, it's... Uh, Listen, it's a game that we're going into. I think it wouldn't be ridiculous at all for me to say as favourites. But then when you look at what Huddersfield did yesterday, 
it does even though we've got a break and we can sort of enjoy yesterday's result a little bit those butterflies in your stomach are already doing backflips already because you think on April Fool's Day how typical Borough would it be for us to go to Huddersfield up against Neil Warnock of all people and go and basically fall flat on our faces. Um, yeah, it, it does. And, and don't shoot me for saying this. It does have the feeling of a potential banana skin. And that does worry me. It's, but, the, it's the typical borough. It is. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the typical borough feeling. And obviously, Middlesbrough fans listening to this podcast will know of that feeling. It's a... Uh, I'm sure other clubs have their own, but it, it because it's us and because it's Middlesbrough, it feels even stronger than it ever has going into this game. I don't want to fully dive into the typical Borough stuff too much because the run that we've been on is quite incredible uh, under Michael Carrick. And my sort of hope is that he's rewriting the Middlesbrough narrative a little bit and sort of just changing the way that fans think and yeah the hope is that the young gun can get one over uh, the old championship stalwart as long as Middlesbrough get out of Huddersfield with three points but yeah back to England now how thrilling when uh, Middlesbrough are performing as well as they are. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I think, I mean, anyone that's listened to this podcast for a long time now knows how much me and you dread the international break. And I mean, previously, that's been when we haven't even been great ourselves. But now we are great to watch. It's even more, I want to say depressing, to be honest, because, I mean... I'm not sure uh, England are going to put a performance on like perhaps Middlesbrough did against uh, against Preston. So, I mean, do you know what's even worse, Nathan? Quite uncharacteristically, I'm going to England versus Ukraine. So I've got, I can compare them both through watching it through my own eyes and I can guarantee that Harry Kane will not be picking up the type of positions that Tuba does on a regular and, I mean, as for the left-back situation for England, I'm guessing it'll probably be Luke Shaw in the squad. Um, I honestly don't even know. That is that is the truth. I'm guessing he'll be in there. But, listen, if he picks up a knock, get, get Jilo on the phone, because I love that man. Um, just before we finish, actually, uh, I've, I've just got a bone to pick with... The national media, to be honest, Nathan. Um, listen, we saw the West Ham links with Michael Carrick. I understand he's one of the best dress managers in the AFL. He's suave. He looks great on the touchline. His teams play great football. He's, you know, played for a big club in the past. He's not quite Wayne Rooney's derby level, but, you know, he... He could easily become the, the English media's sweetheart to, to go and get a big job. But dear me, he said he was happy. He said he loves 
working for Middlesbrough. He's enjoying it. He is loving the way that Middlesbrough play. We're loving the way that his teams play. You don't have to link him with every single job that's going. Honestly, I'm sure the, the national media at this rate, if a bloody vacancy at the local chippy in red car become available, they'd be linking him with that because they seem to want him to get a different job apart from the Middlesbrough job. It's be, it's getting beyond a joke. And do you know what? I, I'm, I'm not sure who the presenter was that put the question to him on ITV's EFL highlights yesterday, but he hasn't even been linked with a Crystal Palace job. And he somehow was getting asked whether, whether there'd been any discussions just leave him out for five minutes, please, honestly. I mean, I know we, we've... Sorry for sort of going off on one, Nathan, and I know you're ready to put your own opinion across, but I th- the, the national media must just uh, be stuck in the ways of Chris Wilder because I heard a rumour that Chris Wilder turned up at Crystal Palace training ground the other day with a loaf of bread, a cooked chicken and a fishing rod, claiming to be a friend of some of the Palace players so listen just basically the message is Mr Carrick is happy and he's got us playing lovely football so if you are going to try and prize him away from Middlesbrough at least give us another few months or another year with him because we're not ready to let him go yet just leave him alone pretty much yeah. He's you, you, you gave him the question about West Ham and everyone could see the the obvious link. Oh, he's a former West Ham player. But Crystal Palace, come on. It's just it's just not even funny. You're just making things up just for the sake of it and for clicks. It's just daft. But yeah, let Michael Carrick stay as a passenger on the tuba train that is flying straight up that championship table and putting pressure on that Sheffield United. What would we even describe them as? Sheffield United what? Pick a vehicle, Chris. It's a car that you've loved for years that is basically taking you everywhere. You've had fantastic memories. You've been on road trips in it, but it's getting to that stage of its car cycle where it's basically chugging down roads. It's breaking down occasionally. You can't fully trust it, but it also does give you some great drives from time to time. But yeah, you're always in the back of your mind thinking, are you going to sort of basically just blow up on me here? Um, so yeah, I think I think that's the best vehicle I can compare it to, uh, unlike a metaphorical train that, I mean, it, it's gone in overdrive really it stops where it wants it stops multiple times where it wants and it it's a it's just a full every carriage is first class it is every single carriage all the passengers i think i think every seat on the train has been full i think at the start of the season it was probably tuba driving it as the conductor and, and probably just me and you sat on the train, really. Chris Wilder was still on uh, platform one at Middlesbrough Station. Um, and he, he he got left at uh, Coventry. Um, but we picked Michael Carrick up from, uh, from Manchester. And uh, we haven't looked back since, flying all around the country, 
just stopping off at places, picking up an unbelievable amount of passengers along the way. The national media have somewhat joined the train. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's on the train. Bernie's on the train. It's it's showing no signs of stopping. I hope Neil Warnock gets on the train. Uh, yeah. Few weeks time that that'd be uh, really really good, but the hope is that the super train is going to fly even further into overdrive, and it's going to fly past, smashing out the way the old Sheffield United car that is sort of ricketing who knows will the chef united car sort of ricket over the line or will the tuba train fly through smash it out of the way and send borough all the way to the premier league we'll wait and see but it leads nicely into what will be a run-in full of num- numerous twists and turns for middlesbrough for sheffield united and for the rest of the championship. Yeah, it certainly does, Nathan. And do you know what? We've went the full podcast again, and we didn't even mention Luton, who were on our tails. And then actually, despite not doing us a favour midweek, Sunderland did do us a slight favour yesterday, obviously scoring late on. So there's another twist, another turn, whatever you want to choose. As you say, Nathan, there'll be plenty. And, uh, and we'll be here whether it's good or bad, to uh, to dissect it all. But uh, from me and you, Nathan, obviously we'll have a slight break, probably for the international break, but we'll be back after Huddersfield, ready to talk, fingers crossed, about another win for this Michael Carrick's Middlesbrough side. Uh, as always, thank you ever so much for watching and listening. Please do subscribe and leave us a kind review if you're listening on audio platforms and all that's left to be said is thank you once again and that has been another episode of the Brock List Podcast. Oh, oh.